the Lord. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Give the Lord praise that God is good. God is good. He wants you to have a future and a hope. God is good. And Lord God, we want to thank you that you are a good God. That you want the best for us. That you sent your son so that we would have life and life more abundantly. That you want us to live a life full of purpose. That you've put infinite potential inside of each and every one of us, Father God. That you've given us an opportunity to be salt and light. That in the name of your son Jesus, we have the victory. That we do not have to live life in defeat. That we don't have to live life, Father God, wondering what's going to happen. But we know that all things happen for the good of those that love you. So we thank you, Father God, that you are a good God working for our good. And Lord God, we ask that you would now touch somebody, Father God. That you would speak through this word that they not see and hear me, but that they see and hear you. Somebody here needs a word from you on today. Somebody here needs to know that you are good and that you want the best for them and that you came so that they might have life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. While you're being seated, let's give the Lord praise that God is good. Let's go straight into the word. And in fact, I don't, you know, before I did that, I don't know if I acknowledged my brother, Elder Lawrence Champion Blake. Amen. Things are moving and things seem to have taken on such a surreal tone during the installation that it somewhat occurred to me just after that 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 was my brother who was putting those vestments on me. Amen. So I was like, man, that's a that's little lawn trap there. Amen. Praise the Lord. And I saw him there, but it didn't really just occur to me at that moment that in the middle of all of the gravitas and the weight that seemed to be laying, laid on me at that moment that my brother was standing right there next to me, helping me bury that weight. So let's praise the Lord again for family on today. 
And it's a reminder that none of us are walking through life alone. And even though you may be separated from your physical family, you have a spiritual family right here in the people of West Angeles who are standing there to help you bear the way. So we praise the Lord for that. Amen. So let's go to John 11, verse 6. Word reads, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed there two days longer in the place where he was. Then going down to John 11 and 11, these things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Now, I can't let you know how much of a blessing it is to even see you at church today. I praise the Lord for our brothers and sisters online that are praying with us as well, but I can't let you know how much of a blessing it is to be able to see you, to know that there are still those that believe enough to at least be able to come out to the house of God if they are able. I do praise the Lord for those of us who are watching us online, and I do realize that we are simply too far away for some of you to come to, and we praise God for you. But I, I do praise the Lord for those of us who are here in the house of the Lord with us on today. They tell me that in the news that church attendance in America is on the decline. But when I look at your beautiful faces, even though they are masked up, I can see the beauty under them. I know that God's people are still here and the kingdom of heaven is not going anywhere but to victory. Give yourselves another hand, amen. And even if you're online sitting in front of your computer, in front of your phone, you give yourself a hand too. This would not be happening without you as well, but I'm sure you all would agree with me when I say that we are living in some very very strange days. I've said it before and so many times in many ways that it would now seem that up is now down and down is now up. What used to be wrong seems to be right and what used to be right now seems to be and is said to be wrong. No one wants to be told what's wrong or right anymore. It seems as though no one wants to be corrected. 
all of the traditional institutions and pillars that we relied on to form our perspectives on the world have come under attack. People have taken a cynical view on the traditional role of politics now. Every day we're hearing about another political scandal so we no longer trust the politician. They're now questioning the traditional role in our society of church and religion. They say, well, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Every day we're hearing about another scandal in the church, so people no longer want to trust the minister or the church. In fact, more people are now claiming to be atheists than ever before in the life of this nation. Something called moral relativism, which is the idea that there are no absolute rules to determine whether something is right or wrong, is at an all-time high. And under that standard, there is no such thing as morality or justice. No room for compassion. And just like those chaotic days in the Old Testament, everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. They're living under the standard that if it feels good, it's all right for me to do it. The world seems to have come to a point to where it believes in nothing. Our culture has become a lot more cynical. And skepticism in and of itself has become its own religion. Truth has become more subjective and become reduced to the perspective of the person speaking on a particular subject or issue. And even facts have become subjective. I can walk around with my own set of facts. We've forgotten that everyone is entitled to their own opinions, but not everyone is entitled to their own facts. The truth can be sitting right there in our faces. And the only thing that seems to matter now is the argument. Just look at some of the debates and arguments that are taking place online. No reflection, no gravitas, just people angrily repeating platitudes that they heard from someone that they agree with that didn't quite know the truth themselves. In these times, a lie can be widely accepted, and if it is screamed loud enough and long enough, if it lines up with someone's worldview, no matter how twisted it may be, there are those that profess to be followers of Christ. But they are ready to plunge this nation into a civil war. And they're saying they're doing it in the name of Christ all based on a lie. And now they're trying to use God to justify their violence. 
to justify their attacks and justify their murder. There's even a conspiracy theory that says we actually really didn't go to the moon. That all of that was a lie. There are even some that have said in the 21st century that the world is actually flat and not round. And they are actually debating this right now online in the 21st century. And even though it may be some big internet prank or the work of a troll, the fact that these people exist and actually have a following is a testament to how interesting these times have become. Strange days indeed. There are people that refuse to believe that COVID-19 was real. And even though millions were dying from the epidemic worldwide, there were even more that refused to get vaccinated, choosing not to believe what was happening before our very eyes. Strange days. It's to the point now that even if Jesus came today, lived, and was crucified on the cross, and we had it all on video, and we saw him crucified and filmed him for three days straight as he was dead, and then he got up from the dead and rose again on the third day, and we had it all on camera. There would still be people that didn't believe. They would say that it's some kind of trick. They would say that it was some kind of scam. And it's not just pointed towards the church. We are now dealing with a culture that can be shown the truth and they still not believe it. Some have even gone in the opposite direction and put their faith fully in science. Scientism is the belief that the the scientific method is the only or at least the most reliable way of getting at the truth and that material entities are the most fundamental elements of science. Or not of science, but of existence. There is no room in their thought process or worldview for the existence of that which cannot be quantified or measured with one of the five senses which means if they can't see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, or feel it, or hear it, then it is not real. To them, there is no spirit, no God, no devil, no heaven, and no hell. Nothing beyond what can be seen. We're at a point in our world and culture where we are not only dealing with the epidemic of COVID and smallpox and monkeypox and everything else they're naming, but we are also dealing with an epidemic of apathy and cynicism mixed in with a heavy exposure to narcissism. They like to call it individualism or a more individualistic perspective, but let's call it what it is, narcissism. Never before has there ever been a greater emphasis on I, iPhone, iPod, iPad, me, 
mind how I look, how I feel, what I want. It used to be when you get to the door, after you. Now it's after me. If you wait your turn, you'll be last in line. Get out the way because I'm going for mine. If you don't believe me, just take a look on social media and you'll see what I'm talking about. Anything that causes us to challenge and reflect on our own actions or on the way that we live is pushed away as being too judgmental or restrictive too preachy. We live in very strange times indeed. We have more information at our fingertips than we could ever imagine. We are more technologically advanced than ever before in the history of this planet. At this very second, the International Space Station is orbiting around this planet and scientists are actually living there and studying and performing experiments. With our brilliance or access, depending on how you look at it, we are even changing the climate of our planet. We are more intellectually proficient now than ever before, but wisdom, wisdom is at, is at an all-time low. We have all of this information, but we are getting less wise as we go. I know I'm, I'm painting a very interesting picture this morning. Amen, but stick with me. But see if you spot anything familiar here in our day. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. I seen a boy cursing his mama out in the supermarket the other day. I said, what part of the game is this? My grandmama would have, Bishop and Lady May would have knocked me the next Tuesday if I tried to do it. I ain't going to say nothing about that. Amen. They try to arrest you if you spank your child today. Amen. But disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy, unforgiving, unloving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, or savage, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness or false righteous indignation, so easily offended. We know it as cancel culture. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Then to verse 7, it says, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Again, we are as smarter now than we've ever been in the history of this planet. 
but also more unwise than we've been. So how are we as salt and light to a world bent on turning away from the things of God? How are we to be salt and light in this context? How are we to minister to and witness to such a cynical, narcissistic, and apathetic culture? So put a pin in that question. We'll get back to it in a few. I now want to call your attention to the account of Lazarus. Some of us know the story. I don't want to assume that all of us here online know the story. During Jesus' ministry and travels around Judea, he made friends with a man named Lazarus. And Lazarus had two sisters, Martha and Mary. We don't know exactly when they met. The Bible doesn't explain in detail, but one day when Jesus was in the area of Bethany, a woman named Martha opened her house to him and the disciples. And whenever Jesus was in Bethany, he would make sure that he stopped in on Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. At Lazarus' spot, he knew he was among friends. He didn't have to watch his back. He knew that he could enjoy good, trusted company, and he knew that he could enjoy a good meal. Sister Martha prided herself on being able to provide a good sense of home to Jesus and the disciples. Lady Deandra, and I I laugh when she does this, but Lady Deandra consistently reminds me of the connection between a woman and the presentation of her home. How many ladies know what I'm talking about? She'll know that we have company. I'm like, it's all right. It's clean. It looks lived in. But Lady Deandra will be making sure everything is clean and right in the right spot. Like I said, she makes me look even sophisticated and like I know what I'm doing. (laughs) But Lady Deandra consistently reminds me of the connection of that presentation and, and Sister Martha was all about that presentation. My friend and brother Robert Franklin describes it like she was a little like your grandmother who when you showed up at her house Martha made you sit down and eat. Even though you weren't hungry or you were trying to lose weight, she said, sit down, child. You don't look so good. If you don't eat, you'll lose weight. I'd be like, well, I'm trying to lose weight. Sit down and eat. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. And Sister Martha knew the value of a mess of collard greens and cornbread, some fried chicken and lemonade, followed by some, some sweet potato pie or a, a bit of haagen you know, or a bit of a peach cobbler, you know, with some haagen melting on the top of it. Let all the hungry people say praise the Lord. Now it's a little on that Amen. We're going to be leaving right after here, going to eat right after service. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but for some reason, Jesus loved visiting at Martha's table. Then there is Mary. While Martha could cook, 
Sister Mary could book something about Mary, studious, contemplative Mary. You could always tell when she had been reading something profound. She would, she would sit in a corner undisturbed by others and meditate on the implications of what she had just learned. She could hold on to a word for a million years and break it down. She, she loved to sit at the feet of Jesus and engage in deep theological analysts and textual exegesis. Them <laughs> y'all ask Dr. Owens a little bit later what that means. He'll tell you. <laughs> Dr. Graves and them will break it all down. Amen. But it was to Martha that Jesus made one of the most foundational statements of his divine identity when he said to her in John 11 and 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me and believes in me shall never die. And it was young sister Mary who broke her alabaster box of very rare and valuable spikenard oil and anointed Jesus' feet with it and dried them with her hair before his crucifixion. The most popular account of them in the Bible involves one of Jesus and the disciples' visits to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. And while Jesus and the disciples were in the courtyard of the house, Martha was in the kitchen, very busy repairing one of her famous meals for Jesus and the disciples. Mary is sitting out with Jesus and the disciples, listening and participating in the discussion, and Sister Martha gets exasperated and frustrated because Mary is not helping her prepare the meal. I'm in here working, and she ain't doing nothing but sitting out there out there talking. So she gets angry and tells Jesus to tell, tells Jesus, her guest, to tell Mary to get up and help her with dinner preparations. And Jesus stops his conversations and says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Now, there have been many discussions on how the spirit of Martha and Mary are both necessary expressions of our lives with God and our lives with each other. Because we have to love God, Mary, and we have to love and take care of each other, Martha. That might be a whole other sermon. We're going to talk about that another time. (laughs) And then there is the main subject of our discourse, Brother Lazarus. Now, he was obviously well-liked and respected in the Jewish community, which was not real common with those who followed Jesus. Not a leader in the community, but he was still had to have been very influential. But not much is said about Brother Lazarus outside of the fact that the Bible says that Jesus loved Lazarus 
very much. So sometime after one of his visits at Lazarus' house, Jesus is near Jerusalem doing what Jesus does. Touching people, healing people, loving people. And a messenger runs up to him from Bethany says, and tells him that he whom thou loves is sick unto death. Now Jesus, for some reason, not understood by the disciples at that time, says, stays where he is and does not go to Bethany at that time when he gets the message that one of his best friends in the world is sick. In fact, he stays there for two more days. He tells the disciples that Lazarus was merely sleeping, that he would go wake him up, but the disciples were, you know, always a little bit slow on the uptake. And they didn't always get what he was talking about. Then in John eleven fourteen, he says to them, Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Let me tell you guys something. God already knows what he's going to do. Give the Lord praise and let me know y'all are still in the house of the Lord on today. Look at your neighbor and say, God already knows what he's going to do. You can either have faith and get in position to flow what God knows with what he's going to do, or you can get wrapped up in what you see and with, with what your natural eyes and or self and miss out completely. But God already knows what he's going to do. No matter what insanity seems to be going on in your life, no matter what situation that you are facing, no matter how hopeless things look, you can have faith because God already knows what he's going to do. You can sit there wondering what's going to happen with West Angeles now that there's a new pastor, or you can understand and believe that God already knows what he's going to do. No need to worry about it. No need to talk about it with your friends. You know what's going to happen. God already knows what he's going to do. For example, Jesus could have any time simply looked up the road in the direction of Bethany and he could have said, Lazarus, be healed. He could have, as soon as the brother ran up to him and said, you know, he who thou love is sick. Oh, really? Lazarus, be healed. He could have done that. He did it before with the centurion's daughter. He did it before with the nobleman's son. He said, you know, your faith has made you whole. Go home, and by the time you get there, your son's going to be healed. It's going on. He could have done that. In Psalm 109 and 20, it says, he sent his word and healed them. And delivered them from their destructions. So we know that he could have sent a word. But why did he wait for Lazarus to become good and dead? Somebody again say he already knows what he's going to do. 
So he goes there finally two days later and they get to the grave and Jesus tells them to roll the stone away from Lazarus's grave. Then in John 11 and 41 it says, then they took the stone from the place where the dead man was lying and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. And here it is, West Angeles. Here it is, beloved. Catch this. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this. For all of the cynics, for all of the atheists, for all of the skeptics, for all of the doubters, for all of the looky-loos, for all of the naysayers, I said this so that they may believe that you sent me. Bishop once told me something. He said, sometimes God lets something die because it is time for it to die. But sometimes God lets something die because he wants everybody, and I mean everybody, to see him rise it, raise it up again from the dead. Now back to Brother Lazarus. Jesus said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth and Jesus said to him them loose him and let him go somebody give the Lord praise on today hallelujah now here's the point there were those that knew of Jesus that had heard about him healing people as he went from region to region. Some may have heard about how he fed thousands of men, not counting women and children, with one boy's lunch. They may have heard how he walked upon the water and calmed the storm and healed the demoniac who was cutting himself with stones and putting chains and how he sent evil spirits into a herd whole herd of pigs. They may have heard these things or these rumors, but it wasn't like today. They didn't have an instantaneous news cycle that we could check in on our phones every few moments. Jesus was still not known on a large scale by the standards of that day. His name was whispered by the poor and the halt and the lame like some kind of urban legend, but not everybody actually really knew. But after he raised Lazarus from the dead, look at the neighbor and say, after he raised Lazarus from the dead, it seems that he went to a different level in his ministry. The word says that many people came to see Lazarus, that many people believed because of Lazarus. Even those that were Jesus' enemies, 
plotted to later kill Lazarus so that they could stop Jesus' witness and influence because so many people were believing on Jesus because of Lazarus. Now, let's, let's go back to that question that we put a pin in earlier. How are we to minister to such a cynical and narcissistic and apathetic culture? Well, the answer is simple. Point to Lazarus. That's the title of our message today. Look at your neighbor and say, point to Lazarus. It was because of Lazarus that many people believed. I would be willing to say in these days of skepticism and disbelief in God and the church that it is going to be Lazarus that draws people back to God. It is going to be those that God raises from the dead or gives life to through the church that are going to draw all people to him. We must never forget that as the body of Christ, we are in the business of raising people from the dead. It still hasn't caught on yet. We're in the business of raising people from the dead, of raising them from dead dreams. Raising them from dead circumstances. Raising them from dead past. Giving life to dead situations. That's why it feels so good every once in a while to see the video testimonials on a Sunday every once in a while. You see, beloved, we're going to be doing more of those of your testimonials up on screen because each one of those beautiful people are Lazarus. Raised from the dead. Revelations 12 and 11 says they overcame. They're accused by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. This means that if God has done something, anything for you, then you need to get up and tell somebody. You need to get up and tell everybody what God has saved you from. What God has delivered you from. We in the church have to be about the business of spreading life to people. We must never forget that. We're in the Lazarus raising business. We, all of us, are here in the business of raising Lazarus from the dead. We didn't come all the way from Vermont to Adams and then from Adams to Jefferson and then from Jefferson to Exposition and Crenshaw just to look good and have church. We didn't bless more than 250,000 orphans on the continent of Africa just so we could sit here with our noses in the air. We are here to raise Lazarus. Now, I might not be getting through to everybody, but let's, so I'll tell you this. We must never forget that we, too, are Lazarus. Every one of us who is saved has been raised from the dead in one way or another. Don't act like you've been holy all of your life. Don't act like you've been saved all of your life. Don't act like you ain't never done nothing or had to be delivered from something. All of your life, I know that there is somebody who is out there that can point at you and who was with you whenever you were doing whatever you was doing, whenever you was doing it, whenever you wanted to do it. Don't act like God ain't never saved you 
from something. All of us have been raised from the dead in one way or another. Our lives are the only Bible that some people are ever going to read. We all were once dead in our sins, but Ephesians 2 and 1 says it says that we were made alive who were once dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. In Colossians 2 and 13, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all of your trespasses, having wiped out all the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Again, if anyone, I mean anyone, be in Christ, they are a new creature. Old things passed away. All things becoming new. We are Lazarus. We shouldn't be afraid or so afraid of what people are going to say what, that we don't share what God has done for us. Shouldn't have to worry about what people are going to think, what people are going to say behind our back. We shouldn't be afraid to share how God has raised us from the dead. We are Lazarus, given new life, life everlasting. Somebody give the Lord praise in here on this morning. Mm. I think that in these times of anxiety and cynicism, that we sometimes forget that our Savior said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. John 5 and 24, he said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come to judgment, but has passed from death to life. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. If God be for us, who can be against us? Our God is in the Lazarus raising business. We are in the Lazarus raising business. We are Lazarus. The old hymn says, once I was dead in sin and hope within me died, but now I am dead to sin. With Christ, I am crucified. And can it be that he loved me and gave himself for me? Oh, height I cannot reach. Oh, depth I cannot sound. Oh, love, oh, boundless love in my Redeemer I have found. I live and yet not I, but Christ that lives in me, who from the law of sin and death 
has made me free. We are Lazarus. We are Lazarus. When they come for us, and they will come for us to attack us and talk about how we're not doing what we're supposed to do, we're all of this, all we have to do is point to Lazarus. Everybody standing. Just give the Lord praise on today. Hallelujah. Come on, everybody standing. It's all right now. It's all right now. God said it's all right now. It's all right now. It's all right now. God said it's all right now. It's all right now. It's all right now. God said it's all right now. It's all right now. It's all right now. God said it's all right now. When they try to speak out against us, and they are going to try to speak out against us. All we have to do is point to Lazarus. It's because of Lazarus that they did believe. It's because of Lazarus that they will believe. Everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. It's time to pray. Now, there may be someone here under the sound of my voice or someone who may be online who, in your body, you may be alive and living, breathing, moving from day to day, but you are not really living. You're dead in your past, dead because of what you've done, dead from what life and the world has done to you. But Jesus came so that we might have life and life everlasting. You don't have to just exist, but you can truly live. You can truly live. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God has a plan and a purpose for your life that is so much more than what your past and your experiences have said about who you are. 